How are we? Doing pretty good? A little snowy outside today, yeah? Yeah, not so great, but excited to be here today, excited to be gathered together with all of you to uh, be singing with you and now to be getting into God's Word. We are going to be continuing our series in the life of Jesus called The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And we're going to be uh, jumping into Matthew 18. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go and get those out and make your way there. We're going to be making our way through some of the passages in the Gospels as well. We're going to be in Matthew 6. And so if you can kind of get yourself in both of those spots, if you're super talented, go ahead and do that. Now, today's topic, what we're going to be talking about today is, is not easy. Uh, This is going to be a difficult one. What we're going to see in our passages today is a radical requirement, a radical requirement expected of everyone who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Radical in the sense that it is going to seem extreme, it is going to seem even illogical, counterintuitive uh, to to the world and a requirement in the sense that this thing needs to be a necessary character quality of everyone who would profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if it is not, and the opposite is true, then one has to really begin to question whether one is a true follower of Jesus Christ. This is not an easy one. The stakes are high. And as I was preparing for this message, it reminded me of this this story, this pretty tragic story that took place about 15 years ago in the fall of 2006. Uh, My wife, Carrie, and I had just gotten married. I was in my senior year at Moody Bible Institute. And this this event, it took place in this small community um, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, uh, a little town called Nickel Mines. Small Amish community, very rural, probably really similar to the Amish communities not so far uh, from here, about an hour away from here. And I'm sure that day, October 2nd, 2006, I'm sure that day began just like any other day in that community. Uh, They probably all got up before the sun was even out and started getting ready for their day. The kids probably got up and did their chores and got ready to go to their school, which was called the West Nickel Mines School, a little one-room schoolhouse. I mean, if you've ever seen Little House on the Prairie, you can just kind of imagine sort of the picturesque, the scene that it was. It was, it was really, it's a community sort of trapped in time, and some might say a better time, some might say a safer time. But on that day, even though it probably started just like any other day, what would proceed to happen on that day um, would rock that community, would shake that community, would transform that community forever. Because you see, that morning at 1025, a 32-year-old milk truck driver who serviced the Amish community there, who serviced some of the Amish farms, he wasn't Amish himself, his family, they weren't Amish, His name was Charles Roberts. At 1025 that morning, he took his pickup truck and he backed it up to the front of that school. He went into the school armed and he took the students of that classroom hostage. Some of the students he allowed to escape, some of them left, but he held some of them there. Those kids that were able to leave and get out, they told their parents, they notified the authorities and quickly they were there trying to take care of the situation, but it wasn't 40 minutes later that the situation escalated beyond their control and Charles Roberts began to shoot. And he shot 10 kids in that room, five of which died, all girls under the age of 13. An absolutely tragic event. But listen, the tragedy of that event is not what stuck with me all of these years. Because unfortunately, in our evil world today, tragic events like that happen all too often. 
What's stuck with me all these years was the unbelievable response of the Amish community to this tragedy. Because you see, deeply embedded in the Amish community is this idea of letting go of grudges, what we would call forgiveness. And the acts of forgiveness that were on display in response to this awful instance was it's amazing. I mean, for instance, on the actual day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was overheard warning some of his younger relatives who were saying terrible things about the now deceased killer. He said this, he said, we must not think evil of this man. An Amish neighbor of the Roberts family, Roberts left behind a wife and three kids, a neighbor of this family, an Amish neighbor, instead of going to the schoolhouse where the tragedy happened or going to one of the families that had lost one of their children, they went over to Robert's house to offer counsel and care and forgiveness. At the scene of the murder and of the tragedy, uh, Charles Robert's father was there, and it's reported to have been seen uh, that there was an Amish man holding and hugging Robert's sobbing father for, for upwards of an hour. And remember, the Roberts family, they weren't members of this Amish community, and the community set up a charitable foundation for the widow and the children. Additionally, 30 members of this Amish community went to Robert's funeral to continue to offer forgiveness, to mourn with the family. Here's why this, it shouldn't be a surprise as to why that stuck with me all these years. Maybe some of you remember this story. Maybe some of you have heard those tales of forgiveness. But here's the thing, radical forgiveness like that shouldn't just be an anomaly that happens once every 15 years in some random rural Amish community in Pennsylvania. Radical forgiveness like that should be a staple of every community where there is a group of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. We should be marked not by divisiveness and anger and gossip and backbiting, but we should be marked by love and kindness and generosity and forgiveness. Amen? Never is the realness of our relationship with Jesus on display to those around us than when we choose to forgive. And when we choose to forgive again and again and again and again, this is a radical requirement for all Christians. In fact, here's our big idea today. It's this. Forgiveness is not an option. It's a radical requirement. Forgiveness is not an option. It's a radical requirement. If you claim that Christ is king over your life and you want to live like this is an actual reality that's changing you and transforming you and shaping you, forgiveness is not an option for you. It's a radical requirement. And this is what we're going to see in Matthew 18, but because it really is such a challenging topic, it's a difficult topic, we're going to move through some of the gospel passages and uh, start in Matthew 6. But before we do that, um, I just want us to stop and uh, let's just commit this time to the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we approach your word right now, we just want to humble ourselves. Um, We pray that your spirit would open our eyes to the truths that we need to see. And would we not merely learn these truths, God, but would your spirit prompt us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Give us the strength and faith to move forward from this place, obedient to what you've called us to do. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So over the last few months, we've been um, looking at and learning from the life of Jesus. Today, we're going to see what he has to say about, for, about forgiveness. And before we even jump in, I just want to say, here's what Jesus says about forgiveness. Jesus requires forgiveness. Jesus requires forgiveness. And some of you might be like, requires? Like, that seems a little intense. 
That seems a little dogmatic. That seems like law. I thought this church was a grace-centered church, gospel-centered church. Uh, No, no, Jesus, trust me, Jesus requires forgiveness. To, To require means that you cause something to be necessary or you specify as compulsory, and I am positive. I am positive that as we work through these passages, you will see that this is Jesus' heart regarding forgiveness. So let's jump in Matthew 6, verse 11. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says this. He says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also, take note of that, as we also have forgiven our debtors. What does Jesus mean when he says, as we? What is Jesus getting at when he says, as we? Does he mean that as I'm in the process of forgiving other people, God is then in the process of forgiving me? Or, or does it mean um, that, that, that to, the, to the degree that I'm willing to forgive other people, God is willing to go to that degree to forgive me? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Because either one of those seem kind of scary to me. Here's what Jesus is beginning to get at here. Jesus is connecting the way I forgive others to the way I receive forgiveness from God. That's what Jesus is doing here. He is connecting the way I forgive others to the way that I receive forgiveness from God. He goes on further to say in verse 14, he says this. Again, listen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so it sounds like Jesus is saying, first I have to do this thing, and then God will do this thing. Are we okay with this? Like, and just in case this wasn't clear, Jesus flips it and states it in the negative in verse 15. Look there for yourself. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Are we on board with this? Mark 11, Jesus talks about forgiveness some more. You can turn there yourself or it's going to be on the screen. Jesus says this, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, listen, so that, conditional statement, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. It's not me. Jesus is saying it again here, right? Like he seems to be directly connecting and linking the way I, receive, the way I forgive to the way I receive forgiveness from God. And just a moment ago, we were praying, right, at the very beginning of this message. And I just want to ask, did, did, did anyone here in, the, in this room take care of that? Like Jesus said, in, in the moment when you're praying, if you have anything against anyone, stop and forgive them. Did you do that? Did you take care of that? Why does Jesus say that? Because to Jesus, forgiveness is of the utmost importance for the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus requires forgiveness. He requires it. I think what's pretty clear from these verses is is a pretty hard truth. It's not my opinion. It's not my thoughts. This is what God's word is saying regarding forgiveness, and it's this. Every perpetually unforgiving person remains unforgiven by God and is not at this moment a citizen of the kingdom of God. Every perpetually unforgiving person remains unforgiven by God and is not at this moment a citizen of of the kingdom of God. Now, um, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you struggle or have struggled with forgiving someone before. Raise your hand, okay? All right, I know some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand with that statement on the screen right now. Are you crazy? No, no, I'm raising my hand not to like show you what it looks like to raise a hand. I'm, I'm raising my hand because I too 
have struggled and continue to struggle with forgiving people who have hurt me, who have offended me, who have done things to me, okay? That's not what Jesus is getting at here. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is painful. And we will struggle to be obedient to this call, but that's not what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is getting at this idea of the obstinate, stubborn heart that refuses to forgive. Like it's this idea of, I, I will never, ever, ever, ever forgive that person for what they did to me. And we hold on to it and we savor it and we cherish it. You see, for that person, they cannot be guaranteed that they are currently a citizen of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is extremely important in the life of a follower of Jesus. In a sense, our very eternity hangs in the balance. But one more point of clarification on this. Um, You're not saved by forgiving. Okay? Hear that? You're not saved by forgiving. You're not forgiven by forgiving. But this, this is what Jesus is getting at. He's using this kind of extreme language here that seems really counterintuitive to us because Jesus is trying to communicate this point. Forgiven people forgive. People who are really saved and, and truly redeemed forgive. Even when it's painful, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't seem fair, even when the other person doesn't deserve it. It's a radical requirement for Christ followers. To think about Jesus' language, to, to put it in, in different words, think about it like this. Um, and imagine that you walked into this building today, and instead of this building being the way it is right now, um, it was in flames, okay? And you walk in, and you're like, this building is on fire. But people are walking around with like a coffee and like a donut, and they're just like, hey, Bob, so good to see you at church today. What... What are you going to say to that person? Are you going to be like, yeah, um, good to see you too. Um, it's, this building's on fire. Um, is that a chocolate donut? Um, should we get out of here? You're, you're, not going to, you're not going to like dance around it. You're going to be like, hey, dude, this place is on fire. And if you don't get out, you're going to die. The burning building of unforgiveness is raging all around us. And, and if we don't deal with it in our hearts, it is going to take us down with it. I don't want to be in that building, and Jesus doesn't want you to be in that building either. That's why he's using language like this, to, con- to communicate the severity and the intensity of what's going on. And we're going to see this in Matthew 18. And so if you're not there already, go ahead and make your way to Matthew 18. And as you're doing that, let me just give you a quick definition of what exactly forgiveness is, because I know this can be confusing as to what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the decision... Listen, forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. Now, to make this point, um, I need someone who has a $100 bill. Does anyone have a $100 bill? And they're like, no, I'm not. I'm not. Right, right there, okay. I, can you get it out real quick? I, I need that $100. Oh, oh my goodness, you had it right there. <laughs> can I have it? <laughs> Thank you so much. The point of this illustration is I just got $100 richer. <laughs> you are never getting this money back. Ever, ever, ever getting this money back. Um, how many of you think I should actually give the money back to her? How many? Raise your hand, nice and high. How many of you think I shouldn't give it back? I should keep it. 
Oh, we've got some, we've got some pastors and elders that would like to meet with you after on that one. Um, uh, last night, it was only pastors and elders that raised their hand and said I should keep it. So you can be comforted about that. Um, now, what if I didn't give it back? Like, what if later tonight, I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm just kind of like relaxing, you know, and I reach in my pockets, and I'm watching football, and I pull out this $100 bill, and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty sweet. Um, but I'm like, I shouldn't have taken this. That was wrong. What should I do? I, 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 I should go back and, and give it to her, right? And I should say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry for taking this. That was wrong. Will you forgive me? And she said, yes, and, and I'm, all right, I'm forgiven. So here's the question, though. What if that never happened? What if I had never given her her money back? And I left today, and I went back to my house, and I watched football, and I deposited that $100 into my account. Is she forever trapped hating her pastor now? Like, just like, beside herself, like, I never knew my pastor was a thief? Like, is she trapped in that prison for the rest of her life? No. No, listen, she's not because she has the choice to forgive me, even if I didn't pay it back, even if I didn't uh, give that money back and say I'm sorry. She has the choice. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's painful. But it's what Jesus would require of us as followers of him. So we're going to see this in Matthew 18. Look at verse 15 first. Verse 15. uh, Jesus is teaching about how to resolve personal offenses. And Jesus says this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Now, this little section here is, is, like I said, all about resolving personal offenses. And what's so cool is we get to see Peter's train of thought as Jesus is teaching on this radical concept. Look at verse 21 now. Peter goes up to Jesus. Then Peter came up to him. And said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And then so everyone here in this room probably has one person. Maybe multiple people. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's the nature of that relationship. Maybe it's the nature of the offense. But you've got that person in your life who consistently seems to do the same thing over and over again. Like my wife has had to forgive me a lot. And you have to forgive that person again and again and again. And so Jesus, he hears Peter's question, and he can tell he knows what Peter's getting at here. And so, so he, he says this in uh, verse 22. Look there. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I I went to Bible college. I'm a Bible major. I'm not a math guy. I know that's more than seven, probably more than 100. It's a lot of times, right? It's a lot of times. And so just to recap, Jesus teaches on personal offenses. Peter asks a question, and then Jesus responds with this, like, circuit board frying answer, right? Here's the thing. Peter's response. The Pharisees The Pharisees of the day, they were these most pious religious guys, and, and their policy was three strikes and you're out. They're like, you can do the same thing three times, and after the third time, it's, it's over. And so Peter, knowing this, right, Peter, knowing this, he, 
he goes up to Jesus and he's like, how many times are we supposed to forgive people? And I just imagine Peter in this moment, like, like turning to his friends and being like, watch this, seven times? Like just expecting Jesus to be like, oh my goodness. Peter, do you want to teach on forgiveness right now? <laughs> seven times. That's amazing. And then Jesus is like, no, I'm about to blow this up 70 times. Here's the point. Here's the point of this. The point isn't some outrageously large number, like we have this note in our phone where it's like, I can only forgive you 490 times, and it's 487 times, and you're, you're coming to the limit. It's almost over. That's, that's not the point. Jesus' point is not the number. His point is this. Stop counting and start forgiving. That's the point. Stop doing relational accounting and start forgiving. If you have been forgiven by God, you have been forgiven so much, so start forgiving. And he can just tell his like, disciples and the people around him are like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And so he's like, fine, story time, okay? And so he tells a parable. He tells a story. Look at verse 23. Jesus says this, verse 23, Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So just so we're clear in the story, who's the king? It's God. God's the king, okay? A king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Does anyone know how much a talent is? Because I forgot to do the research on this. Talent. I just remembered it's 20 years wages. Is that what you said? 20 years wages? You nailed it. Good job. But it's that times 10,000. Does anyone have that kind of money saved up? I'm looking for some new friends. I mean, it's a ton of money. Essentially, it's an unpayable amount. And, and verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so they get, they're going to get sold into slavery. How long is this family going to be put into slavery? Forever. Forever. Like it just, it, it, there's no way they can pay this back. Verse 26. So the servant, he fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. And, and, and what? What's the word there? Forgave. Forgave him the debt. Best day ever for this guy. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred, uh, hundred denarii. Does anyone know how much this much money is right here? This is like two to three months wages. Is that what you said? Two to three months wages. This is a much more manageable amount of money. This is like a Dave Ramsey emergency fund amount of money right here. That's what it is. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Like, remember? This guy had just been forgiven an unpayable amount of money. And he sees his buddy on the road, goes all UFC on him and puts him in a chokehold. And he says, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant uh, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that sound like anyone else we know? And look at verse 30. Look what he says. He refused. He refused. Not that he couldn't forgive his friend. It's that he wouldn't. Never allow yourself the luxury to believe the lie that forgiveness is anything other than choice. 
we can always, always, always choose forgiveness. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so let's stop stop for a second and just take every painful, horrific, hard thing that's ever happened to you. Verse 33 is, is God, is his word to us. Verse 33, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's the story. Let's see what we can pull from it. Here's the first thing. I have to forgive. I have to forgive because my reasons not to are terrible. I have to forgive because my reasons not to are terrible. So remember, all of this uh, started with, with Peter wanting to know essentially if there was some sort of loophole out of forgiveness. Peter, he wasn't looking for, like, what's the big number that I need to get to that, like, I can finally have the sort of get-out-of-jail-free card where I don't have to forgive someone. Essentially, what Peter was trying to do was he was trying to understand, what are the off-ramps? What are the exit ramps? What are my reasons to not forgive? Is there a certain kind of offense? Is there a certain type of person I don't have to forgive? Is there a certain amount of times that person would commit that offense where I don't have to forgive them? And the point of Jesus' parable here is to communicate that there is never a good reason to not forgive. All of our reasons are terrible. I have to forgive because my reasons not to are terrible. And here's some terrible reasons that we give to not forgive and to hold on to unforgiveness. Uh, The offense is too big. The offense is too big. I've heard this one a lot. The offense was too big. It was so awful. You don't understand. Like, they hurt me so bad, and they've done it so many times, and I could never offer them forgiveness. Here's the thing. You, you're probably right. I'm sure the offense was, was, was really hard, was really awful. I've heard of stories in our own community where people have hurt other people in really, really, really awful ways. And I get that it would, the logical thing uh, seems like it would be like, I can't forgive that person. That doesn't seem like the right decision. I get that that's, that would feel right. But here's the thing. Um, imagine that really big offense as, as, as some kind of tumor, okay? And the problem, the problem with a big offense like that is the bigger the offense, the, the, the more quickly you want to deal with it. Because as big as that offense is, the unforgiveness that you hold on to is going to outpace that offense. And it's going to damage your walk with the Lord. It's going to damage your relationship with other people. Honestly, the bigger the offense, all the more reason to get to forgiveness as quickly as you possibly can. It's a bad reason. The offense is too big. Here's another one. I can't forgive it if I can't forget it. You ever heard that one before? You ever used that one before? I, I can't forgive that person until I, I for, forget it. How's that working out for you right now if that's you? We don't forget those things too easily, do we? Here's the problem. It it really should happen the opposite way. Not first forget and then forgive. It should be first forgive, then forget. First, I'm going to make the hard choice to forgive you of the offense against me, and then I'm going to put that offense out of my mind. 
And I'm not going to bring it up in my mind and relitigate the issue over and over again. I'm not going to use it against you. And I'm not going to weaponize that offense against you ever again. And I'm not going to use it to, to defame your name to other people. That's what it means to forget. It means to put that offense so far out of your mind, so far out of your conversations, that essentially it didn't happen. I can't forgive if I can't forget. It's a bad reason. Here's another bad reason. Time will heal it. Time will heal it. Again, imagine having that tumor. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, this is really bad. This is stage four. We have to get to work on this right away. And you're like, it's an interesting thought. But you know what? I'm just going to let this ride out and see what happens. I'm going to let time heal this one. How's that one working out for you? How does that work for you when you see that person at the grocery store? Or even worse, here at church, time will heal it. No, it won't. No, it won't. Bad reason not to forgive. Here's another one. They need to say sorry first. You ever use that one? A lot of people laughing like, yeah, I know that one. I've used that one a ton. They need, they, I will forgive them if they say sorry first. If that's you, let me just tell you, you might be waiting a really, 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 really long time. And listen, God's ideal, like God's ideal would be that that person who offended you and hurt you would approach you humbly and say, I am sorry for hurting you. Will you forgive me? But listen, that's not always how it works out. And if that person hasn't approached you yet, then let me just tell you, first of all, if you can, try and allow love to cover that offense. God's word says that love covers a multitude of sins. Try to allow the offense to roll off your back. And listen, if you can't, then, then, then roll it off to the Lord. God says, vengeance is mine. And, and, and trust him with the offense and trust him to work it out and trust him to bring about justice and reconciliation. And if that still doesn't quite do it and you're like, man, this is damaging to me. I'm still holding on to unforgiveness. I feel this anger and this bitterness. Then, then do what Jesus says and approach the person lovingly. Lovingly tell them. Keyword there, lovingly approach them and confront them and share with them how they hurt you, the offense, the pain. And if they still don't respond, bring another person and approach them again. And if they still don't respond, then again, go back to the Lord and get your heart in a spot where that at the drop of a hat, if that person were to approach you and be like, I'm sorry, I finally get it. Would you forgive me? That you would be ready and you'd just be like, you know what, honestly, it was as good as forgiven. They need to say sorry first, another bad reason not to forgive, and then one more. Um, they're just going to do it again. They're just, they're just, they're, they're, they're just going to do it again. And listen, you, again, you might be right. You're probably right. You know the situation better than I do. It might offend you again. It might hurt you again. But what do we see in this passage? It's not about a number. No more relational counting. Stop counting and start forgiving. Now, here's just a little caveat. To forgive someone doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in harm's way again. And if you're in a situation where your safety is in jeopardy, to forgive someone does not mean you have to re-enter as a result of that. And we would love to counsel with you and pray with you if that's a situation that you find yourself in today. But for many of us, the varying offenses that we encounter with other people, they might do it again. And God wants us to forgive Brings us to our next thing. I have to forgive because my failure to forgive will destroy my relationships. 
My failure to forgive will destroy my relationships. Think about the relationship between those two servants. Think about how close they probably were. Like the one guy owed the other one three months' wages. How close do you have to be to someone to loan them out three months' wages? Like you have to either be a really close friend or a family member. Like they were probably pretty close. How close were they after the guy put him in a neck brace and then in prison? How, how was their relationship then? Not great, right? That's what unforgiveness does to our relationships. It destroys them. It annihilates them. And hear this, everyone, listen, hear this. Each and every one of your relationships that you're in right now is converging to a point where you will have to choose between forgiving that person or ending that relationship. It's been said many times up front here in the history of this church that there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Every single relationship that you're in is going to need some amount of forgiveness in order to sustain it because we are selfish, broken, messed up people that are gonna hurt one another. We've been forgiven so much and would we forgive? Listen, if you wanna be in your 70s and in your 80s, however long the Lord would allow you to live and you wanna be sitting on your porch drinking some tea and looking back on your life and thinking about all the God-honoring, life-giving, joy-filling relationships that you had, you need to be a forgiving person because if you're not, you're gonna be sitting on that porch alone, bitter, angry, because you refused to forgive. A failure to forgive destroys our relationships. And not only that, a failure to forgive destroys our reputation. Like the one dude saw the other guy on the road and he assaulted him and threw him in prison, but then all their other friends were watching. Listen, unforgiveness takes deep root in our hearts when we allow it to fester. And what blossoms as the result of that are our different actions and behaviors Uh, that that will ruin your testimony to the surrounding community, not just our church, but the world around us. And we will will become to be known as a people who are divisive and angry and, 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 and fearful and mean and gossipy if we do not deal with the unforgiveness in our hearts. It'll destroy our reputation. And then finally, think with me how awful the unforgiving servant felt as he was back before his master, back before his master who had said, I release you of that debt. And the master has him and he's like, what did you do? What what, what did you do? But I I forgave you so much. And you, you couldn't forgive that offense after what I forgave you? And listen, I'm fearful for some of us That when we find ourselves before the Lord, instead of hearing some form of what we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, we're going to hear something vastly different. I have to forgive because a failure to forgive will destroy my relationships. It will destroy my reputation. It can destroy my hopes for eternity. Listen, I think that many of us, as we hold on to unforgiveness, what we think we're doing is we think we're doing the right thing. And we think that we are imprisoning this other person and punishing this other person. But listen, all we're doing when we hold on to unforgiveness is we are imprisoning ourselves and we are keeping ourselves from experiencing the blessing and the joy and the fruitfulness of offering forgiveness in our relationships. 
Again, I know it's not hard. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. But it's the radical requirement required of every follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing we see in this passage. It's, it's this. Just in case it wasn't clear enough already, we'll say it nice and clear. I have to forgive because God's forgiveness of me requires it. Each and every one of us in this room right now, if we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, we must forgive because God's forgiveness of, 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 of me, of us, requires it. And that's the whole point of this story. You know, I, I know I said I wasn't a math person, uh, but the one servant owed the other servant three months' wages. If you calculate the math of the talents and the 10,000 talents and all of that stuff, um, do you know how many months of wages the one servant owed the master? Do you know how many months it ends up being? I think it ends up being this, 2.4 million months of wages. Again, an unpayable amount. 2.4 million months wages compared to the three months that his friend owed. It was a truly ridiculous situation, right? And listen, stay with me right here. We're not done. Ridiculous. That's the point of this story that the offenses against us, it is ridiculous for us not to forgive them because of how much we've been forgiven by God. That's the point of the story. And listen, if some of us are in this room right now and we still think it's right to withhold forgiveness, then we have no comprehension of the offense that our sin is against the holy God. We just don't get it. We don't comprehend it. We have been forgiven so so much. If you're wondering who you are in the story, who we are in the story, the unforgiving servant. That's who we have the potential of being in the story. We have been forgiven so much and will God open our eyes to the reality of how much we've been forgiven so that when it comes to personal offenses and hurts and pains, that we would be willing, that it would be second nature for us to forgive we wouldn't even think twice about it. You know, like I said earlier, I've had to wrestle with forgiving other people in my life. Not a lot by God's grace, but there have been situations in my life where people have offended me and they've hurt me and they've said harmful, mean things about me. And I've had to choose forgiveness even when they didn't say sorry. And I, and I hope that those re relationships would be reconciled one day, but in my heart, they're as good as forgiven. Do you, do you understand that? But it, but it took a step of faith and even more powerful than a moment like that in my life uh, is being forgiven. Can you think of a time in your life when you've been forgiven by someone? Uh, for me, like, like I said earlier, my wife has had to forgive me a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and, and one time in particular, about five years ago, I was just in a really difficult spot in my life. Um, instead of running to Jesus, I was running to alcohol and I was hiding it from my wife. I'd broken her trust. I had lied time and time again. And it put us in a really difficult spot. I mean, it fractured our relationship. And for me, it was so bad, and I was in such a dark spot that I actually had to go away for a season. I mean, this was really my life about a half a decade ago. I had to go to a gospel-centered men's recovery home for a season. And in that season, my wife was angry. My wife was hurt. Our relationship was broken. And she had to choose in that moment. Does she choose to forgive or does she choose to hold on to unforgiveness? 
And, and, and hear me as I share this like pretty personal story right now. Um, I'm so grateful she chose forgiveness. I really, truly, genuinely am. And listen, she didn't choose it because of anything I did. She didn't choose it because I deserved it. She didn't choose it because I had earned that. She chose it because God's forgiveness in her life required it. And we had a long road after that, and we had a lot of repair work to be done. But I'm so grateful that, that that path started with her choosing to forgive me because now five years later, our relationship is better than it's been ever, you know? I mean, it's not perfect. She still has a lot of things she has to work on. But, but we're making our way, and God's grace is enough. God's grace is certainly enough. The forgiveness we've received from God requires that we forgive in the exact same way. Listen, it's so radical compared to what the world would have us do. I mean, listen, it's, it's like we've been forgiven 2.4 million months wages, really an unpayable amount. We could try to work to pay it off billions of lifetimes and we still wouldn't do it. It's an unpayable amount. And yet God, in his mercy and his grace, by his love, sent his son Jesus to make a one-time payment for us. Nothing that we had to do, nothing that we had to earn, we place our faith in him. We are forgiven. We don't have to fear the wrath of God. We're no longer separated from God. We are returned to communion and relationship with this holy God. And our sins, past, present, and future, forgiven, our eternity, secured. And so today, like, here's the thing. If you profess to be a follower of Christ, there really isn't a choice for you. There isn't a choice. For you, forgiveness is not an option. It is a radical requirement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your forgiveness. We've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. In fact, we've done just the opposite. In our sin and in our rebellion, we have run away from you, but by your kindness, you have reached out and you have brought us back near. And thank you for that. Lord, right now, I pray that our hearts would be reminded of your kindness, of your grace, and of your forgiveness. Lord, that we would be humbled to remember that again. That we would be humbled to, re to remember the unpayable debt that we owed and how it's been washed away by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And in response, God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the faith to move forward from this place to do the hard work of forgiveness. And God, I'm sure that each and every person in this room right now can think of one person, maybe multiple people. Would you help us to forgive? Would you help us to be a people known by radical forgiveness? Even when it's painful, even when it hurts, even when the other person doesn't deserve it? Would we be a people of forgiveness because we, God, have been forgiven of so much? We thank you for that. We pray this in your son's name.